Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. You guys ready to have some fun? How many of you have been feeling the transition from summer vacation life to the coming reality of real life? Have you felt this transition coming? Is your house anything like my house, right? The rhythms of summer and swimming and hanging out and suntans and snow cones is becoming squeezed as we are beginning to do school shopping, right? And we are are buying note tablets and we are registering for sports and we're filling our calendars with the games of our children, Okay, and you, you begin to remember what it felt like to have a weekend and you, you are seeing that you are not going to have a weekend for like the next seven months, right? And so the, the reality of the fall coming is starting to get very, very real, right? Anybody excited though that football comes with the fall, right? Now, anybody else excited that pumpkins come with the fall? Right? Are you excited for pumpkin latte and pumpkin cake and pumpkin everything and decorations with pumpkins and pumpkin scent? Right, And all of a sudden there's like whole Pinterest boards dedicated to your obsession with pumpkin. Right, And it's the pumpkin colors and everybody talks about it as if we've never seen a pumpkin color before. As if the fall colors are new every fall because we get excited about the cooler weather. We get excited about thinking about cooler weather here in Austin, Texas, right? We get excited about the day that will we'll be cool, you know, but it's like that one minute where you walk outside and then all of a sudden it's like winter. You know, it's like you went to bed, it was summer and you wake up and then it's just winter. And while you were sleeping, a whole season was executed, right? That's the beauty of living in Texas. We do things fast, we do things big, and we do things effective. So, I, I, you know, because football's coming, I thought I'd lead off with a football quote. All right? Can you hang in with that? People who don't watch football, I'm sorry. Okay? But for those of you who do watch football, you might have heard of a man named Urban Meyer. Have you heard of this guy? Okay? He is the football coach for the... Ohio State Buckeyes, right? Pretty dang good football coach, pretty successful, seems to be a good guy, although I've never met him. I'd love to hang out with him one day. But he says something that I heard a couple of years ago that I absolutely believe is true, not just for the game of football, but for life. This is what he said. He said, the game is won or lost in transition. The game is won or lost in in transition. And so what we want to do is make sure that we are preparing well, not just as people, but as a community for the transition that is coming, which is known as the fall. And so we've been praying in as a team, like, God, how do we prepare for where do you want to take us? We've experienced just an incredible summer. Have you guys enjoyed summer 
at Antioch, right? It's been so fun this past month having all these incredible communicators come in and share these awesome words with us that I know that I am still chewing on so many of the truths that were shared throughout the month of July. Summer has been amazing, but God has got a new thing for us. And so we don't just want to ride the wave of what was. We want to lean in and expect what is coming. And so we want to make that transition from summer vacation life to the reality of fall real life really well. And as we've leaned into that as a team, we, we felt like God led us to the story in John 21, which is, which is the moment after Jesus has died on the cross, his disciples are scattered and confused. And a few of them get together and they're like, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to go fishing. Because that's what homies do, man. When it's rough, go fishing, right? But not only were they looking for an emotional escape and the rush of bringing in some fish, they also were going back to what they did before they had met Jesus. This was most of their careers before they had met Jesus and left their nets to follow him. When they felt that he had left them, they went back to the nets. And so they are spending their evening fishing, hoping that they can pick up life where it had left off. They're in a transition. And what is amazing is that Jesus shows up on the beach. Should be a word to us that God is a beach guy more than a mountain guy. So Jesus shows up on the beach. And... He calls out to this random fishing vessel that's making its way back to the shore. And it's like, hey, did you guys catch anything? And they're like, no, we didn't catch anything. Now, have you ever been on a fishing trip and somebody asks you if you caught anything? And then you have to say, I didn't catch anything? That's like eating crow, okay? That is not a good, that's, that does not stir encouragement. It stirs anger, frustration, you know. You want to go say, well, how many did you catch, right? I mean, that's what I would have said, right? But they responded back, no, we didn't catch anything. And he says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Throw your nets on the right side of your boat. And so they do. They throw their nets on the right side of their boat. Now, there's one of two things that could have been happening if I put put myself in their scenario. They're thinking like, wow, this is vaguely familiar of God doing something amazing. Maybe this is like something cool that's stirring, or maybe it's to spite the man on the beach. So they throw the nets on the other side of the boat, and then all of a sudden the nets fill up with so much fish that they can't even pull the nets back in. It's not only just an amazing miracle of Jesus' provision, of his grace, of the heart of God to express kindness to his disciples who were in a difficult place, a place of transition, a place of confusion, to go above and beyond to show them that although things are different, he's still with them. I mean, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful picture of the heart of God for us. But that's not what stuck out to me in this story. 
What stuck out to me in the story is we leaned into it as a team thinking about Urban Meyer's quote about making sure we make this transition well. It's very simple. It's the only responsibility that the disciples had in that moment was to have strong nets. That's it. They could not control the fish coming. They could not control the timing of the fish coming. The only thing they could control was the fact that they had strong nets. And so we're going into a season where we collectively as a community want to take a good look inside and say, God, are our nets strong? Do we have strong nets? Because what is true is that God wants to bring a great harvest, to use a church word, right? He wants to bring people to himself and he uses the vessel of the church. And our only responsibility in that equation is to have strong nets. We can't just get people here, but when they come, if we have strong nets, we can let them experience the kindness, the grace, and the hope and life of Jesus. So the the journey for us over these next few weeks is we're talking about, are we a healthy house? The ultimate question is, how strong are our nets? How strong are our nets? And the passage of scripture that we want to use this morning kind of as a tone setter for us is out of Psalms 92. If you have a Bible, I want you to jump there. If you don't, we're going to throw it on the screen. And it says this, starting in verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age and they will stay fresh and green. So if you're a fan of rap, you would recognize that Outcast almost got that last line right. You know, stay fresh and so clean, clean. But Psalm 92 says... Fresh and green, green. Okay, so, so it was an almost a not yet for him, but, you know, we'll tip our hat and say, keep trying. So let's do this together. Can we read it? Do we have it? Let's read it together. Can we do this? Can you read it with me? Everybody together. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh and so green, green. Can we do it one more time? Can you do it with me? Just one more time. Say it like you mean it. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh and so green, green. The NIVJAG version in that last verse. Title of my message this morning, if you're a note taker, which I would encourage you to be because I'll look more fondly upon you, is it's time to flourish. It's time to flourish. If you're not a note taker, let this sear into your mind. It is time to 
flourish, as we're looking forward to getting ready for what God has called us to do, let's remember that we're made to flourish as we do it. It's time to flourish. And I love the moment of scripture where Jesus begins to unpack for us the idea of the church. And in Matthew 16, that's what's going on. He begins to ask his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am, right? And there's this beautiful moment of confusion as the disciples are bouncing around all of these different things that they had heard. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps out, gotta love Peter. He's either right or wrong, but he's loud each time. Jumps out and he's like, you are the son of God. And Jesus' response to him launches the idea of the church. He says, and I tell you, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's always been in the design of God that the church would be a place that displays his kingdom on earth. It's always been in the design of God that the church would be a place that displays his kingdom on earth. You have access, Jesus says, to ask heaven to come to earth. Whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. And that also gives you power to take authority over what does not belong in my kingdom in the house. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It's always been in the heart of God and the design of God that the church would be a local expression of his glory in cities. That's why we are here. That We are not in a facility that's called a church. We are a community that's called a church. And the beautiful thing about that is, is that means that church is mobile. Church is not just when we gather on Sundays. Church is when we hang out in bars. Church is when we have dinner at restaurants. Church is when we invite people into our homes because it's always been the design of God that his glory would be displayed through the church. And so we have this privilege of being a vessel, not just the sole vessel, but a vessel of a, to demonstrate the glory of God on earth, to display his glory and his kindness and his hope on earth. Now here's what's crazy. Liz and I have gotten into gardening. That is a very crazy statement. If you come to our house, you won't believe that statement because we're not any good at it. Okay, we're terrible at it. We're trying really hard. We're investing a lot of money. But our flowers seem to change colors from beautiful pinks to browns. Now, some of you are, an incre- are incredible at gardening. Like, you, I, you know, I envy you. Like you just think about a plant and then it just like happens. Your backyard is like the Garden of Eden, you know. And then you come over and we'll be like, oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And then your response is insulting because you're like, that's nothing. And I'm like, no, it's something because I've tried it 
and my backyard does not look like this, right? And, and so we, we, we're, but we're going for it, and we're spending a lot of time in nurseries looking at plants. Now, those of you who are good at this whole thing, what I'm getting ready to say, you're going to go, yeah. For me, this was revolutionary, okay? Like, we went, we picked out these plants. They were amazing. They looked great in the nursery. They were vibrant colors. So cool. Liz had, like, picked a color scheme, and it was beautiful. And we, like, looked at pictures online. We're like, oh, wow, this is what our backyard's going to look like. It's going to be amazing. And we go to the nursery, and we find these flowers and these ground-covering things, and then we pick them out. And then we go home, and we begin to plant them. And we plant some in the back, and some of a sudden the ones in the back were flourishing, but the ones, now they got about the same amount of sun, the same amount of water, but all of a sudden the ones in the back were flourishing, but the ones in the front were dying. I was perplexed. I was like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Same amount of sun, same amount of water. We're doing the same thing for the ones in the back as we're doing in the front. The ones in the front are dying. The ones in the back are flourishing. Like, why are the ones in the back flourishing when they're exactly the same and they receive the exact same care as the ones that are in the front? And then it hit me. The dirt's different. We planted the ones in the back in potting soil. We planted the ones in the front in the clay junk that they call soil in this part of the country. I had no idea that the dirt mattered. I thought water it, make sure it gets the right amount of sun, and those two things will equal a vibrant, growing bush, ground cover, flower. I had no idea that if you like certain plants that aren't native to this part of the country, you have to like weekly treat the soil, add acidity. I'm like, ain't nobody got time for adding acidity. I want it to grow. I had no idea that the dirt mattered. It makes sense water matters. Makes sense that sun matters. No idea that I had to take in consideration the soil that we were putting the plant in was going to determine greater than the sun or the water if that plant was going to flourish in our yard. Planted in the house of the Lord. The righteous will flourish. Just like it's important for us to realize that the dirt matters for the things that we're planting in the ground, we need to understand that we need to plant ourselves in the right dirt. Because you can be doing a lot of the right things in the wrong dirt, and you're not going to flourish. The righteous will flourish. Everybody say will. The righteous will flourish when they're what? Planted in the house of the Lord. Planted in the house of the Lord. So if we are not flourishing, we might have a soil problem. We might have a soil problem because the righteous will flourish planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish. So why are our lives full of things that are dying? 
Am, am I the only person that when reads something like this and begins to ask a question? I love that. That's so inspiring. But man, I just read 27 prayer cards that are everything from marriages on the rocks to marriages that are exploding. People that can't get out of addiction. People that have lost their jobs and they don't know what is going to happen next. They can't pay the bills. They're thinking about having to apply for food stamps. Circumstances that are outside of their control. Family members that are so sick. The only hope is a miracle. And I read this and these are godly people. These are people that live a right life. And I go, how is that flourishing? If the righteous will flourish, then what about that? How how does that make sense? How do we draw a line right there? The people going through the hardest, worst, just absolutely painful, gut-riching things in life. And then we read things like that the righteous will flourish when they're planted in the house of God. How in the world do we get from the survival to the flourishing? I want to look at a story of three young men in Daniel 3. If you grew up in church, you'll know this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you just kind of want to say that with me, just feel a little Shadrach, you know? It's like, should be like in an in a action thriller. What's your name? Shadrach. Just me? No, right? Who's that sniper up there? Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you want to follow along, we're going to be all through this passage. Go to Daniel 3. Daniel 3 is their story. Let me kind of give you a scene painting of what's happening here. They are in Jews. They're Israelites living in Babylonian captivity. They are under a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. So if you feel bad about your name, just be glad it's not Nebuchadnezzar. So they are under King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was a proud man. King Nebuchadnezzar liked himself. So he said, I'm going to construct an idol, solid gold, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and I want everybody to worship it. And so it was literally decreed in Daniel 3, verse 4. This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, some instrument that doesn't exist anymore, the lyre, a harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately, everybody say immediately, be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now it gets back to King Nebuchadnezzar that these three Jewish guys that were working for him have refused to bow down and to worship this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar has constructed. And they were leaders. They were actually a part of leading some stuff and doing some stuff. And so he calls them into his office and he's like, boys, please, when you hear the flute, when you hear the zikr or whatever it is, when you hear the harps, when you hear the lyre, fall down and worship the idol or I'm going to have to throw you into the furnace. 
I love their response because I think it gives us a cue on how we are to flourish where we're planted regardless of the storm that's surrounding us. They respond in Daniel 3 starting in verse 16. They replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But check out verse 18. If you want to know what it sounds like to be rooted and planted in the house of the Lord in your heart, that regardless of what storm is raging at you or in you, sounds like, it sounds like verse 18. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We don't have to defend ourselves, king, because our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, he's still good, and we're not doing it. Rooted in the house of the Lord means that the roots of your soul have dug deep into the rich soil of God's character. Rooted in the house of the Lord means the roots of your soul have dug deep into the rich soil of God's character. So that when you find yourself looking at a furnace, death, things that should crush you, oppression that's suffocating, options that are going to drown you in despair, you can say, my God's going to deliver me. But if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing to the lie that me stressing, worrying, or making my own way is going to help me. He is king and I'm not. We can flourish in the middle of a furnace when the roots of our soul have dug deep into the rich nature of God's character. Do you know who God is? Do you know him as a deliverer? Have you seen him as a deliverer? Are you not struck by the fact that they did not go, where is my God? But they said, watch my God. That's what, that's what it sounds like when you are planted in the house of the Lord, you will flourish. Therefore, when the impossible and the awful happen, we don't say, where is God? Those planted in the house of the Lord say, watch, watch my God. The next part of the story is the best part, right? You know, they bind him up. King Nebuchadnezzar is so mad, he turns the furnace up seven times. It's so hot. One of the guards gets too close as they're getting ready to throw them in, and he dies. So they should have died on the way in. They throw him in. They begin to celebrate like, oh, yeah, we showed them. And then King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace. And it says in verse 24 that he leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Weren't there just Three of them, because now I see four, and one of them looks like his words, the sons of God. 
all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar is like, what is happening? Get those boys out of there because they're walking around, hanging out with this other person, just chilling in a furnace that's annihilating my guards that were throwing them in there. This fire should incinerate them. They should not, they should just be a vapor and they're hanging out, walking around, probably high five. If this was me and my homies, we would be like, check this out. High five and chest bumping. Like, dude, what is happening? Like, I'm going to try to benefit this, try to shed some LBs while we're in this heat, right? Maximize my gains right now. You know, we would be talking about it, having a great time. And Jesus is in the middle of them, just kind of hanging out. And then they pull them out of the furnace. Now it's just three of them. Best part, they didn't even smell like smoke. Didn't even smell like smoke. You're going through a fire right now. Your marriage has exploded. You feel like you can't connect with your spouse. Your, your personal life is a wreck. Your finances are destroyed. You've lost your job. There's no practical hope for you. You've put your resume in to every company in this city and received an equal amount of rejection letters. You're in a furnace. You, it should incinerate you. The pain, the frustration, the disappointment, the pressure should crush you. The righteous will flourish, planted in the house of the Lord. The righteous will flourish. I don't know how you would define Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's experience in the furnace. I think I would definitely use the word flourishing. They were flourishing. They, they were rooted. The, the, roots of their so, the roots of their heart had dug deep into the rich, good soil of the character of God. And, and so they were rooted. They were planted in the house of the Lord. Not a physical house. They were, they were planted in a community that was leaning in to worshiping the one true God. And they found themselves in a fire. Not because they were doing the wrong thing, but because they were doing the right thing. They are looking at a flaming furnace. The consequences of their right decision. You didn't cheat at work and you got fired. You didn't do something immoral. And people shamed you for it. You standing up for the right thing and you're getting treated like it was the wrong thing. You're staring at a furnace. You're looking at a furnace, but you're not alone in the fire. You're not alone in the fire. Hello. You're not alone in the fire. Let the heat get turned up because you're not even going to smell like smoke. Your hair's not even going to be singed because the righteous will flourish when they're planted in the house of the Lord. Flourishing has nothing to do with what's happening around me. I can be standing in a furnace and flourish. I can be standing on a mountaintop and flourish. I can be in the deepest valley and 
flourish because the righteous will flourish when they're what? Planted in the house of the Lord. We need to let our hearts go deep in the good soil of the character of God. If you're in a fire right now, if you're in a furnace, it's not where is God, it's watch my God. It's let me go deeper. Let my roots sink deeper. If you're going through a fight right now, set yourself up for a root deepening encounter with Jesus. Give yourself some time tomorrow morning to let your heart go deeper. Worship the living God. Turn on a worship song instead of Beyonce and let the truth of who God is, his character, wash over you and allow the roots of your heart to sink deep into his character. So even though you're in a fire, you will not be burned. Come on, somebody. I showed up to preach. I showed up to preach. There's no lights. There's no fanfare. But I showed up to preach. You are not alone in the fire. You're not by yourself when it's hot. Your God has not left you. Your God is with you. If you feel like you're alone, it's not where is my God, it's watch my God. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I know that somebody is in a furnace. And you've been tempted with the thought to think that God has abandoned you. The circumstances of your life are evidence that he's left you. And you are about to turn your back on this whole idea of Jesus being the hope of your life. Because you are in a furnace. It's not where is my God. It's watch my God. And he wants to show you this morning you're not alone in the fire. Some of you are in a fire right now, and you are like, I don't know this Jesus. I've never had an encounter with this Jesus. I don't even know how I got here this morning. Somebody told me they were picking me up to take me to Denny's, and we showed up at Dobie. It's a good switch. And you're sitting here this morning, and you're like, I'm in a fire, and I'm about to be burned. You don't have to be in that fire by yourself. You don't have to be in that fire by yourself. If not every area of your life flourishing, check your soil. Where are you planted? Where are your roots going down? Because we will flourish if we're planted in the house of the Lord. Doesn't mean we're not going to be in a furnace. It just means we're going to flourish. Doesn't mean we're not going to go through hard times. It just means we're going to flourish. Doesn't mean that everything all of a sudden is going to go right. It just means that we're going to flourish because the righteous will. Everybody say will. Will. The righteous will flourish planted in the house of God. Amen. You guys ready to flourish? It's time to flourish. Jump to your feet.